cat and dog people. This is It's Training Cats and Dogs, the show for people with both cats and dogs who want peace in their home and peace between their animals. I'm Naomi Rotenberg, your source of practical strategies for keeping everyone in your multi-species household safe and sane. And today's episode is a chat with another pet professional about how they've used their expertise to navigate the relationships between their clients, cats, and dogs, as well as their own pets. So let's get started. Our guest today is Matt Chimsky, who is a fellow trainer near me in Philadelphia, and I am so excited to have you on the show, Matt. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Hi. Thanks for having me. This is lovely. I... I I'm so kind of angry with you. I've known you for about six years, so we were mm-hmm. talking about that. And I did not know until very recently that you have cats, and oh. I, like you personally were holding out on me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I said, no, you have cats, great, come on the show. So everyone is going to love Matt, just like I do, but oh. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him because he's pretty cool. So he is a certified professional dog trainer and started his business, Tough Pup Training, and it's Tough T-U-F-F because everything is Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. Philadelphia in 2007. And he offers one-on-one in-home dog training programs. And the company has now grown to having four certified dog trainers, and they offer positive reinforcement, fear-free training programs to all areas of Philadelphia and There are a lot of areas of Philadelphia. It's a pretty large area. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And Matt is also an official mentor for the students of Catch Canine Traders Academy. And I want us to talk about that because it's a very Mm -hmm. interesting program. And Matt is passionate about humane training methods grounded in behavioral science and offers a hands-on supportive coaching approach to training and behavior modification programs. In 2022, that's this year. Mm-hmm. currently 2022. He created the Philadelphia Ethical Pet Professionals, which is a website and local trainer directory to help mm-hmm. local pet families better navigate the unregulated industry when searching for a trainer to hire, because it is a very strange world on that internet. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a really, really interesting and needed guide. And Matt lives in the Mount Airy neighborhood of Philadelphia, like I do. And he lives with his wife, Lauren, his sons, Owen and Leo, and his cats, Howell and Detective Tutuola. Mm -hmm. And his newest addition is Gus, a boxer Akita Kali mix who is not even a puppy anymore. And we'll probably talk about him, too. Um, So hi, Matt. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you. It's great. And for you longtime listeners of the podcast, I was just realizing, like, I've been doing this for a while now, almost a year. So, so there are longtime listeners of the podcast. Um, I want to dive in to our favorite game, Two Truths and a Lie, about Matt, so we can get to know you a little bit as a human before we talk in, te- in depth okay. about your pets. Mm-hmm. So take it away. Tell me three things. Two of them are truths. One of them are a lie about Matt Shimsky, and I'm going to suck at this like I always do, but let's just take a crack at it. Ready? Mm-hmm. Well, all right. So my first is my son Owen told me he wants to be a dog trainer. My second, pretty widely different here. My second one is that I have sold artwork in a gallery. And my third 
is that I used to be a magician and performed at bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, and sweet 16. Okay. My question is, sold art at a gallery, was it your art or other mm-hmm. people's art? It was mine. Oh. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> art gallery. I mean, you have many talents. So I would be... I mean, I hope that's true and that you have sold art and that it is good art and that you made XL, <laughs> XL cash on it. Um, I'm going to go with Owen does not want to be a dog trainer. Oh, that's great. That's true. That was wait. That was the lie. Oh, yay. Yeah. <laughs> that's the truth is, That's true, but it was a lie. Okay. Yes. I, the, I, the truth, I found it. It probably yay. felt so different from the others. The truth is Owen told me he wants to be a cat trainer. Yeah. So he's actually obsessed with cats. Talk to me. Yeah, tell me about uh, what's oh, yeah, going what's going on. He he likes the cats more than Gus? Well, I have this feeling he likes cats in theory. He loves drawings of cats, stories about cats. I read him a graphic novel about science of cats. And there's just something about cats that I think just it captures his imagination more than dogs. But I mean that's it. for me, you know, I don't listen. Cats are great. <laughs> but as a dog trainer, I was really hoping he'd lean dogs. But we'll see. He's still got he's still got some time. I mean, the motto of this show and my business in general is that I help cat and dog people. So really? it's possible to be to be both. Maybe he's just like my demographic. That's right. <laughs> I hope and I think he's both. I think. Yeah. And he loves he loves our dog. He loves dogs in general. What he really loves is pointing out dogs to me. And he loves telling me about cats he's gotten to see. Mm. But the truth is, like, he doesn't, he doesn't, like, scoop our cat's litter box. He's not, like, regularly caring for them. That's a lot to ask for an eight-year-old. I was going to say, he's a little young for that. Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) It's fine. When he gets older, I'm going to be like, if you still like cats that much, you're doing the litter box. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's uh, that is the ultimate in love. Mm-hmm. For well, I'm very impressed that you picked out the lie. Oh, me too. It rarely, <laughs> it rarely. You were just telling me how. Yeah, you're not feeling confident with it. So you did sell art. You used to so visual art. Well, I so I went to school for art, and when I um, just very shortly after graduating, I had a, a a show in a gallery in Binghamton, New York. And I sold some artwork. It was super cool and fun. And I thought I would do it forever because it's, you know, it's great. But then I, I moved to Philly. And in looking for a job I thought would leave me time to make artwork, I started to work for a dog trainer because I thought dog training was really cool. And then it turns out that people are more interested. I don't know about interested. They're more likely to spend money on their dogs than on artwork. Which is, which is, uh, it is what it is. So dog training took over and I've done that full time ever since. And, uh, I'm lucky ever so often I get a chance to make some artwork for, for the business or just for myself, but I do still love drawing, painting, and uh, talking to people about art. Ugh, too bad life forces us into some pragmatic decisions. That's Although right. Dog trainer is That's not right. like your typical nine to five. <laughs> like everyone who no. hears like, oh, no. you train you train animals. Like that's like one of the coolest jobs I could think of. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely up there with things that sound cooler probably than 
than it might actually be. Um, so is being a, a, yeah, magician. You were a magician. So is being an artist. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would I would uh, perform at bar and pub mitzvahs uh, more like when I was in high school, uh, like high school or early college, um, and th- that that those skill sets have since gone away. But you know, ever so often I magically make my thumb disappear, or for one of my kids, or you know, or I I take cards out of my ears or whatever just to entertain them. So that's still I've got a few tricks. I love it. I'm, I mean, I find that a lot of trainers come from some type of theatrical background. Yeah. And it's got to be yeah. some, there, I mean, it's definitely a correlation. I don't know what the causing aspect of it, but mm-hmm. it's still is. A hundred percent. In fact, the other tough pup trainers, one of them is into ceramics. The other is um, into poetry. And I mean, like actually practice those arts. And yeah, a lot of dog trainers I've met come from a, performance background and art background and uh exactly what the crossover explanation is between those things but i think it's just feels right when i was actually in school for art another of the one of the other students had a dog and i can't speak to the quality of training for this particular dog but at the time it looked fantastic to me the dog would follow this person around off leash all over our campus and we just like hang out and it looked like the person did no training as far as I can remember. The dog was just like connected, mm-hmm. you know. And and then I thought that's like I got to learn about dogs more. Honestly, like that was the start of it. And then I babysat, babysat, yikes. I dog sat for professors in college. And uh, some of that went really great and some of it didn't. But through that process, I was given like a book on dog training. And then when I moved to Philly and I was looking for a job, I was like, man, that's right. Dog stuff is really cool. <laughs> And uh, that's where I started searching around for somebody to work for. Because my understanding at the time was that to be a dog trainer, you had to have a mentor and you had you have to work for somebody. There wasn't a clear path. I think it's a little clearer now than it was then. There's definitely great organizations you yeah. can go to to get you the knowledge that you need and to find mentors. And, and I, I sort of wish I had that maybe when I first mm-hmm. started instead of kind of bumbling into it like I did. I think the whole yeah. dog training world in a lot of ways is a lot of bumbling, <laughs> right? There's like, you know, it, there's, it, you mentioned, you know, it's unregulated. Everyone's got opinions. They're like, you oh, know, yeah. it's just kind of, it's very difficult for anyone who's kind of new to it to navigate what, where the hell they're supposed to be going, what would be best for them. Right. And we can talk about the ethical pet group in a minute, but yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It definitely like ties into that, right? It's like if you, wh- whether you're a pet parent or 100%. you are looking to become a pet professional, you're just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll see what happens. Yeah, all of it, all of it. There's just so much information and so many strong opinions, and it's all online. And that's where you go now if you want to learn about how to do something, or you lo- you know, just yeah. you're going to Google it initially. There's very few universal recognized mm-hmm. standards. So, I mean, even growing up, right, I had some people who would be very aligned with how I train now and how they train their dogs even then. And then there's others, even the people I would dog sat for in college who were like Mm -hmm. pretty rough with their dogs and and, um, not judging them necessarily. But there's just what that's 100 percent what they thought Mm -hmm. was normal. And you don't know what you don't know on both sides. You don't know what you don't know. And I had that experience personally um, because initially when I got into training, it was Mm -hmm. traditional training so i guess i'm considered a crossover mm-hmm. trainer yeah but long enough ago where I, I feel pretty strong about the 
the methods, which is why I, uh, I've started talking about it so much and created that mm-hmm. directory. Yeah, it's, uh, we can, we can, just, <laughs> you could have a whole podcast just on that. You could have a whole podcast just, about, uh, maybe I'll be back on. No, mm-hmm. um, I think being open to a lot of different <laughs> things, especially at the beginning when you really have no idea what you're looking for is the mm-hmm. best way to go in life, but it can be very scary right? Um, to just be like, Mm -hmm. I know nothing. Let me try to get as much information as possible and then decide what's best for me. And a very few people are able to do that process. It's very much just like whatever I stumble upon first is the most formative. And then moving away from that can be a difficult Mm -hmm. way. Uh, Yeah, 100%. Like, what are your values and all of that crud? It's, it's it's really complicated, I think. Man, everyone's like some very similar experiences to mine. I've come across people that have had similar experiences. And then newer trainers who I meet now, including the ones mm-hmm. through Catch, they, you know, very rarely have like an experience where they had to go through like basically traditional mm-hmm. training mm-hmm. experiences and then kind of navigate about it, like what made sense to them and what they liked and what felt right or ethical about it. And uh, a lot of them just are working on or working from like just the, the current standard in like positive reinforcement training mm-hmm. world. And that's probably healthy, <laughs> but, but I think it makes it harder for them to also navigate talking about the way that we used to train animals. I don't really know what it's like with cats. If there was like a there, I'm sure there was a traditional way of, of training a cat that has so vastly uh, changed. We're still talking about can you train cats? So I think that's the big shift no, yeah, yeah, of yeah. like, you know, it was, yeah, you know, okay, we have this thing, this being in our house. Like the only thing, the only thing mm-hmm. you could make it do is nothing, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? They're going to do whatever uh-huh. they're going to yep, do. Yep. And you just either accept it or mm-hmm. you say, oh, my cat's an asshole. And then you're kind of resentful about it or you get rid of the cat, right? Yes. Or you put it outside or whatever, right? So like now... I think the big shift yep. is like, yes, you can train a cat. You can do some behavior modification. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, cats need enrichment, like all mm-hmm. very behind the times in terms of like what's been accepted from the R plus community in terms of dogs. Yeah. But I mean, the closest that I could think of is like, okay, you, you have a spray bottle to keep your cats, to keep your cats mm-hmm. off the counter or something like that. Right? Guess most common for sure. Yeah. I mean, I used to think when somebody told me about their cat issues while while doing dog training with them, I would really focus originally on just the dog Mm -hmm. side of things. And I would be lucky if we could get the cat to come into the room to Mm -hmm. do any training, because, of course, that's never something that they've thought about. We're like, hey, uh, would your cat be comfortable being brought in to the room right now across the room or behind a barrier or wherever and and participating and for so many people that they just like gave me a weird look and they're like, I, I don't even know if I want to come out of the closet. Like, I don't I don't think like they've never even thought about it. Or I'll be like, hey, your cat can just be a presence, a distraction while we work with your dog. But hey, in case you're interested, you can train a cat. And like, maybe we talk about that. And every time it seems like a weird concept. Yeah. But training cats is, can be just as fun or maybe even more fun. I don't know. It depends. And so now if I get. 
Uh, I mean, we could talk about this in more detail, but there are definitely cats that are scared with even a visitor in their home. And then, of course, if I'm working with somebody, it's because they just got a dog or they have a dog who needs maybe some support. And that dog has caused the cat mm-hmm. to disappear for maybe a few mm-hmm. months even. And so, yeah, a lot of it is just sort of naturally mm-hmm. separating. And I love when I'm doing a training session and the cat comes out to watch mm-hmm. what we do. And not only that, sometimes they'll steal the treats that I'm using or they'll like stalk my bag that I carry things in during appointments. I think people find it really distracting and annoying, but I'm like, yo, your cat is really fun. And we should do something with him. We should maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that. I have a cat now who does that. But I've also had cats that are the, the scaredy cat, the the, the cat, for any of a variety of reasons, they think that the things that we do with the dogs just seem so strange to them. That's what they seem anyway to me, that they they watch it from a distance with disdain. <laughs> but it's been a fantastic change to have a cat who, like, honestly walks over and is like, I could do this better <laughs> than this dog can. Is you that know? one Howl or Detective Tutuola? That's Howl. Detective Tutuola is my, um, is a, a Russian, is mm-hmm. it uh, yeah. Russian blue? No. Uh, yeah. And she's maybe mm-hmm. 13, somewhere 12, 13, 14. She was the first cat I I had that was my own. All of our cats, pretty much, except for Hal, are from West Philly street cats, basically. And uh, Tutuola is like, you know, the the matriarch? I don't know. She's, yeah. She's the old quiet cat in the house, for the most part. Um, and Hal is like this new two-year-old cat who comes in. Our dog currently is only about a year and a half. And so actually our dog and our cat are like buddies. They play. Mm-hmm. They train together. And I have several pictures of them snuggling together, which no one seems to care about but me. But I, I mean, I'll post them more. <laughs> yep. Uh, and they're super cute. They're really cute together. I mean, there's probably some times that they interact and one's more into it than the other for sure. Or they just sort of start a ruckus and get in the way of our, our other cat. Doesn't doesn't particularly like that. The most interesting behavioral the issue between them is that the the two cats currently don't don't entirely get along. They get along, but there's definitely some like mm. tension be, between them, which which I'm managing. But it, it's not that interesting. I mean, but for the most part, they're getting along. But they've had some little scuffles, <laughs> minor stuff. Yeah, but, it's yeah. very. I mean, most of my clients, it's not as straightforward as one dog, one cat don't get along. Um, there's often mm-hmm. multiple cats mm-hmm. or multiple dogs and one new cat or, you know, and then right. you have to manage mm-hmm. the relationships between everybody and realize the kind of the differences between how they tend to interact with each other, behavioral tendencies, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. It's really, it's mm-hmm. a fun puzzle for me. I think it's a fun puzzle too. I worry that, that the, the dog owners or cat owners or um, parents, that it's stressful. It's so stressful for them. Like we find it interesting, but if you're if multi- species or multi-animal um, home my clients just they they the initial feeling is that they're overwhelmed yeah. by it you know and there's always somebody in the home and the family that is just like we we just can't keep these animals because it's too mm-hmm. it's too much so i'm glad that there's like a sense that like cat enrichment is m- mm-hmm. more common and that you can do training with cats and that also that dog enrichment and management mm-hmm. is more common and that it's okay to have a household where your dogs and cats don't interact much or at all. 
and that each can still have all their needs met without them like cuddling necessarily and like you know playing yeah I'm, i'm glad to hear that i will say when we first met so many years ago you and i first met i had three cats two dogs and uh and one kid and i i felt like that was man and then i now i come across people who have more animals than that and and i worry for them i'm joking but i do worry about the households where the animals outnumber Mm -hmm. the humans which i guess isn't too uncommon but yeah we've had some interesting cat dog dynamics and the the most pleasant and and endearing one is that what we currently have here so do you (laughs) tell me you know you started out with dogs as we talked about like in your college Mm -hmm. time you know time you moved to philly okay and then you know when did that first cat was it tutuola Mm -hmm. okay so how did tutuola which by the way Tutuola is a girl cat, and we should talk about SVU, but yes. that's another another, another uh-huh. podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did she come to be in your house? So in a short span of time, we acquired two cats. We already had a dog. We were walking down the street in West Philly one day, and we, we walked by somebody on a porch who was sitting with a cat, this gorgeous, you know, Russian blue, really silvery looking cat. And we said, oh, what a beautiful cat you have. And the person says, oh, thank you. Do you want her? Uh-huh. And we was like, what? She says, well, I'm sitting here because I'm waiting for a cat rescue to show up and take her. But we just found her. She's been living under our porch, they told us. And we were like, yeah, of course we want her. I mean, yeah. So anyway, that was the first cat. Not, not long after. I'm going to say less than a year. But we were coming out of our apartment. And there's this woman sitting out front of our apartment, like on a stoop with a black cat, like a tuxedo. And she, she says, excuse me, would you like a cat? This stuff happens in West Philly. Do you want this cat? And we're like, well, hold on. Like, we, your cat's beautiful, uh, but we already have too many animals. You know, that's how I felt at the time. That would be insane now for me to say that. But yeah. And then we, we walk away, okay, which should be the end of the story. But instead, later that same night, I walked outside to let my dog out. And um, the cat, the tuxedo cat, was left on our porch, on our steps, with a bag of baby carrots. Yeah, 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 a bag <laughs> of baby carrots. Um, what? And was just left, and pretty intentional. Like it was clear that it was like intentionally left there. And this cat, so bold, walked immediately through my dog's legs into our home. And I let my dog go out to the bathroom, and I came back in, and I, I said to my wife, I was like, I guess we have a, we have a cat now. We have another cat. And so that's the the first two just sort of wound up in our home. And then we had a third cat that actually my wife and her family was um, driving across the Spring Garden Bridge and saw a kitten get up on Mm -hmm. a a light that looks over 76. And uh, they hopped out of the car, Mm -hmm. like pulled over, hopped out and like got the cat, like literally like reached for it, you know, over the the barrier. And so for a while we had all three. And uh, and listen, like I'm not the most cat like forward person in my home. And so they were pretty sure like, oh, Matt's not going to want to keep this cat. But then I was the one who's like, no, we can't. They were all really lovely. Our th- so we had Detective Tutuola, uh, Eleanor Weaselbottom, mm-hmm. and we had George Bailey was the cat. It's a female cat, but George Bailey. And uh, George Bailey has actually been rehomed to my sister-in-law and she's doing wonderfully. Hmm. But uh We've had too many animals here to manage, and then we had a, another baby, and 
And George Bailey was happier as a solo cat, I think. Was there conflict with the other cats more than with the dogs? Yeah, absolutely. So George Bailey would fight with Detective Tutuola. <laughs> and, um, uh huh. And the fighting was not like, um, like they weren't getting hurt. They weren't hurting each other, but there was a lot of hissing at a distance, a lot of staring. And then, um, George Bailey would urinate on various items around the house. And it would happen shortly after there was like some tension. And then we separated them for a little while. And we gave George Bailey her own area and her own uh, litter box. And, and they coexisted for a while. But I feel bad. She just wasn't comfortable exploring the house anymore. And I have done training with Detective Tutuola. Mm-hmm. So she was able to come pretty much when you call her. She would sit. It's been a while since I've practiced things with her. But I would work with her a little bit in the presence of the other dogs and the other cats. But when the opportunity came up for George Bailey to have like a solo cat house, uh, we, we took her. We, yeah, we thought it'd be better off. Um, and now we have Howl, who is apparently from Kuwait. We found, what? yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah I, I don't know if, you know, you or anybody would be interested in this stuff, but we, we, we found her on, pe- we lost a cat. So it, Weasel Bottoms got very sick and, and passed away and it was uh, pretty upsetting and for a couple of weeks we're like we're not going to get another cat you know but my son who i told you wants to be a cat trainer he came to us and said like my friends at school they call me the cat king mm-hmm. how can i be the cat king you know if we only have one cat here so we had a little pressure from him laid it, it hard on to ignore thick that. dang yep 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 and uh anyway we found this cat through pet finder it was being adopted um by a woman who like regularly takes cats from or cats and dogs from uh, other countries and and rehomes them here in Philly like basically like street cats and dogs that are that are brought to the United States. So we met the cat and the cat was just like, "Hey, I'm the coolest cat you've ever met." Like I might be the coolest. <laughs> so he's been here for a couple months now. And I don't know if you can tell, but like I have in my past been less enthusiastic about cats. And that has slowly changed over time. And my family would tell you that. But then I meet a couple of cool cats in people's homes where I'm training their dogs. And I'm like, wow, that's a really neat cat. Like I could, I could train that. I could hang out with that cat. And, and I think Howl's kind of really, uh, changing my overall opinion. Um, because he's kind of dog-like. Uh, I've seen him fetch. I've seen him want to train with me. I've seen him hang out and want to cuddle in ways that like other cats I've had haven't. So. So I'm excited to sort of see where that goes, honestly, in terms of like continued training and activities with them. So you have these cats with these fantastic names, and then we have Gus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, first of all, is Gus short for anything? Um, yeah, Augustus. Okay. Yeah. Still kind of lame. Comparatively. Comparatively, it's totally I mean, lame. You know what? I'll, I'll be honest. I've wanted to change Gus's name for a while, but I've come to terms with it. So yeah, he's he's Gus. And he's also a really fun, interesting character. I mean, he's um, very sweet. He's like exceptionally sweet. Yeah. So you got you got him as a young puppy, right? So you brought him in, and there were cats. How did you navigate that? Because he was he's you know not a small dog. Mm-hmm. So we got Gus when he was thirteen weeks old, and we adopted him actually from Street Tales Animal Rescue in Northern Liberties. So shout out to them because they're really 
I'm a big fan. I'll put a link in the description. Yeah, yeah, please do. And when Gus first came here, we ended up, um, I have a whole setup when I bring a puppy home and it involves a lot of um, exercise pen usage. Mm -hmm. So I'm setting up his sort of alone zone spaces. And so he's regularly spending time behind gates and our cats aren't really at the time anyway, they're not managed. So they, they come and go if they want and they've had dogs as long as they've lived with us. So they're pretty bold. Mm -hmm. So he's behind the gate and, um, he spends a lot of time with the occasional enrichment toy, the occasional meal. And then we were doing some training games. And so for the most part, when he was in the pen, I'm observing him and doing work and sitting nearby. And as the cats would come over, I'd watch for the interactions observe some of the body language, but really it's just a lot of very gentle sniffing mm -hmm. from Gus, which I would say is abnormal. Mm -hmm. So he's not like terribly upset that he can't get to the cats or get at the cats. And uh, what do we do? We spent some time working on just voluntary settling. Mm -hmm. If he was looking at the cat and then looked away, looked at me, I'd be sitting there ready to click and treat him or yes and treat him. At the same time, I'm also working on things with him like going to a bed, settling, downstay eye contact from a downstay um i do a lot of take a take a breath work mm -hmm. with with my dog so all that's sort of happening as a side note and just naturally as i'm training him throughout the day the cats would show up and they would just be natural distractions and he got pretty i think he got pretty used to that there were times when i started to give him more freedom throughout the house that he would chase our cat weasel bottoms and that became problematic because it wasn't reciprocal at all. Mm -hmm. And, the, you know, the cat would duck or jump to areas where he couldn't get. But still, I think it was pretty terrifying for her. So we did have a short amount of time where I would leash him in the house if I was giving him some freedom just so I can easily step on his leash and manage him that way. And that seemed to that seemed to sort of cut it out. And he realized he couldn't enjoy the full on chase. Mm hmm. That he was having before his interest sort of wavered and then i would jump in and say hey buddy i got something over here for you i got an activity a game and especially if it was something that he was already working on he would disengage pretty easily i will say i've had dogs in the past who were more difficult with the cats mm -hmm. and would spend more of their life um, initially until we had time to work on it um, being penned or crated at certain times of the day that we would call like you know cat free time just allowing the cats to have access to maybe those areas of the house mm -hmm. i think it's actually a pretty good habit to get into if your cat likes to spend time with you in the evening to just matter of factly make that sort of downtime for the dog which you know kind of naturally occurs anyway mm -hmm. i think most people want that right they kind of envision themselves sitting watching tv reading a book you got a cat next to you you got your dog next to you on the other side or maybe on the ground sleeping mm -hmm. And everyone's really pleasant and calm and no one's getting in each other's way or stepping over someone's sensitivity threshold. But unfortunately, it's not always like that. So I like to try to artificially create that by working on downstay with Gus after he's had some exercise. And I'll use treats that I know the cats like with uh, like uh, our cat Howl eats Gus's treats. <laughs> so if I start training, Hal's going to come out, spend some time there. And what I'm really working on is I'm saying this time of day, late evening, after dinner, expect this activity, guys. You're going to come over. You're going to find me here in this area. Your dog bed's over here. I'll reward you if you hang out there. And uh, and for the cat, it's 
I haven't exactly worked on downs today with the cat, but um, if I sit and just pet Howl as he watches me train Gus, he's he's pretty cool with that. And then I'll reward him occasionally for hanging back mm-hmm. um, and giving Gus some some space. And uh, eventually, maybe I'll work on downs day with Howl as well. Um, so uh, I would, you know, if this was for somebody else's dog and cat setup, I would want to tailor a more specific plan for it. But I really initially make sure that there's management in place, which just would be any preventative measure for a dog to prevent the the initial chase and the fixation. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the like first couple of days of Gus being here, we had a pen sometimes with a blanket over it so that we're blocking his vision. So he's not tracking the cats, mm-hmm. getting amped up and starting to bark or chase along the fence. Mm-hmm. And if he did then settle, I would walk over and treat him or give him a Kong toy. And eventually he got used to the fact that it didn't make sense to track them or chase them. He couldn't get to them and he moved on to other things. And that was simple enough for us. But I think for some people, it takes a lot, uh, a lot longer with the need for, I think, a slower buildup. And for some times, it's it's all about the cat, just getting the cat comfortable wanting to participate or come out at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the more the cat acts like prey, the more the dog yes. is going to treat them like prey. I think you probably have a lot more experience with this than me but but if initially i try to wait for or encourage people to wait for a training where their, their cat is loafing that's what i call it mm-hmm. is that a technical term <laughs> loafing no i mean everyone uses it i don't think you know it's an I mean. industry standard but it's uh everyone knows what it means so if a cat's loafing they're less of a distraction they're not running basically they're just they're just squatting down and i will try to make that the initial training time so if a cat's just resting on a dining room table I'll bring the dog in, maybe do some leash walking around the table. I might sit across the room, you know, more than six or 10 feet away if possible and work on eye contact and downstay. I do all that through clicker training, you know, repetitive, voluntary, ideally voluntary attention. Maybe the look at that game um, from Control Unleashed. And then at some point it gets a little too easy or boring and then we'll encourage the cat to run. But only if there's enough safety distance and, and management measures in place. But I'll get a cat toy or, you know, a, um, a flirt, flirt pole of some sort and, and uh, get the cat running. And that really changes the game, of course. Mm-hmm. And for some dogs, that's, I mean, that could be the end of it. I mean, I think some dogs, they go over threshold right away mm-hmm. when that happens. My ideal setup would be somebody who has a, a glass door of some kind <laughs> where the cat or dog can be on one side with the other, you know. With, um, you can sort of envision if it's an outdoor cat, it can be outside. But for the most part, it's baby gates. And then somebody will try to hold a cat. I find that that's the most stimulating. If a dog who would chase a cat sees that cat being held by someone across the room. And of course, the cat's not totally comfortable with that. Right. And it, that seems to be more stressful for everybody. Yeah. I stay away from any setup where one or both of the animals but particularly the cat because they're so they have many many spatial needs and spatial pressure is a big issue for them um because they are prey animals they're both predator and prey very Mm -hmm. uh how that is you know turns out behaviorally but if one or both of the animals cannot escape Mm -hmm. i immediately I'm not pleased with that setup because, (laughs) because for many reasons, but number one, like our goal is to have them be able to feel safe around each other. And if 
they don't have an escape, then they mm-hmm. can't feel safe in a, in any situation where you cannot opt out. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You being any being in the world. <laughs> it's not just mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. us too. If we think about, you know, even if there's a room that has a bunch of video games and all of that stuff, it's super like it's right up your alley. There's a lot of good stuff. Mm-hmm. But then someone secretly locks the door behind you. You're going to have you're going to be like, what? Am I stuck here forever? Like what? Like what's the? Yeah, you don't yeah, know the yeah. rules all of a sudden, right? So mm-hmm. like, you can't start a good relationship from that. One hundred percent from that. In that analogy, the the fear of being locked in might overtake any interest you'd have in those games. Right. That's often what I see or I talk about with reactivity with dogs, which we we, as you can imagine, we do a lot of, um, and the like inability for a city dog. To escape a situation that they're afraid of. Mm. You know, maybe they're not even reactive. They're just terrified of traffic. But their human has already gotten them several blocks from their home on a side street. You know, honestly, they end up being dragged or carried because there is no escape. Right. You know, it's just all overwhelming. Now, I think about that with cats that get cornered by dogs. Mm -hmm. I mean, you see it right away. Yeah, I would much prefer a cat disengage and run off and feel like it's not going to be chased so that it it continues to choose that option. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you think anyone thinks about this stuff before there's an outburst or an issue? Like, I, it's hard for me to tell. Like, we get called if there is an issue. Always. But, like, I think about people who, who with all good intention, get another animal, a second animal, mm-hmm. a second pet. And uh, I just don't think a lot of people are thinking about that until there's a, a really scary chase moment or reactive moment. Yeah. I worry people don't think about how their current animal, their current pet, will feel if they get a second or a third or whatever. I mean, I think that's so important to be like, does my dog even want a cat? I've been thinking about this a lot. I mean, the most recent podcast episode that I actually released (laughs) was basically like, how much do you need to know your current animal and your behavior, like how they might really react in certain situations? Like what are their (laughs) triggers? All of that stuff. Like, only then should you be then saying, okay, I'm going to prepare to bring another animal in. That's like the ideal, right? You know your current yeah. animal, you've assessed that they can handle it, mm-hmm. and that they have the skills to behave appropriately around another animal, and that you're mm-hmm. willing to put in some kind of planning to make it happen yeah. in a successful way. How realistic is it that most people do that uh it's not i mean like i do have like a pre new pet program Mm -hmm. most of the time i end up using that pre new pet program (laughs) when someone like has just gotten a puppy like like they have a cat yeah and the puppy has been home for like a day (laughs) Mm -hmm. and people are like fuck it's like a little backtracking. Yeah. They're right. like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I still treat that mm-hmm. like, you know, because you can immediately say, okay, right. two weeks shut down. You now have a couple of weeks to come up with a plan versus like it's right. been an issue for a while and we have now have to kind of backtrack on it. But yeah, it's that's great. It's not as common as we trainers would like it to be. Um, part of the education, I mm-hmm. factor, and Instagram does help with this a lot, actually. Yeah, is putting out that PSA of like, you love animals. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking about maybe putting getting another animal, like here's some stuff to think about. We're here if you need. 
mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know accept that most people are reactive instead of proactive. Yeah, and that's we have to meet them where they're at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I appreciate when people realize that there is all this information out there that would help with their situation. They get into it mm-hmm. and they like they find out that these resources are there and that also like they've maybe always been interested in behavior. They like, didn't know it. Mm-hmm. And they get a real kick out of it. I think that, uh, yeah, Instagram has made some, uh, some trainers really popular just on, just on that alone, sort of preemptively getting people interested in how cool training can be. Mm-hmm. Even with cats, I follow a couple of cat clicker trainers, mm-hmm. specific cat clickers, and, uh, I'm more interested in it than I like, than I thought. It's kind of inspiring. I do wish that I had learned more about that, I think, originally with my first couple of cats. That like, uh, yeah, just like you said at the top of our conversation here, like, I think I was also on autopilot thinking is cats are just like, they just do their own thing. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a misconception. A little bit. Some cats are very independent. And there yeah. are, you know, species. So are dogs. But there's, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting that a lot of people will say, oh, that cat is kind of like a dog. And like, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Like you said mm-hmm. that. Uh, but it, you're not yeah. the only one who says that. It's... um. It's a perception. It's a personality. Like, yeah. As soon as you classify a cat as social and, you know, interested in things that are not sitting in a window and staring off into space, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they're they're Mm -hmm. like a dog. They're they're like a dog. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I've had, yeah, the full spectrum, right? You meet a full spectrum of cats and originally if enough of them are aloof and they don't want to be pet, you know, that's such a weird thing to like care about as a human. We're like, I want a pet. I want to pet, literally pet this pet. <laughs> and that's so unfair yeah. to the animal because it's like, just like a human. Yeah. Is that a common thing for you? You hear people describe a cat as a dog. You know what, you know what they mean. Yeah. And you're like, Ey. okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know exactly the kind of cat they're talking about. And it also, yep. you know, it plays into the expectations that people have of the differences yeah. between cats and dogs. The fact that they're... Mm-hmm. You know, the theory being that they're completely different, right? Right. Um, mm-hmm. There are differences, but they are not completely different, right? There, there's like, mm-hmm. there, it's, a, it's a yes and aspect. Well, right? yeah. And so I think that's what, like, the whole, like, oh my God, you can train a cat. Like, that's no one mm-hmm. would question you can train a dog. <laughs> right. Right. Hundreds of years. No one, <laughs> no mm-hmm. one is going to say, mm-hmm. oh my God, you can train a dog. Like, what the, you know, but. The need to dispel a myth that mm-hmm. I think is should be kind of self obvious, but that's from my experience, like as a person who trains <laughs> cats and dogs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I often have to kind of take this step back and say, okay, like what do people really know about cats? It's very little. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a lot of lore about dogs and how you can mm-hmm. be able to interact with them, pets and all of that stuff. But like, mm-hmm. it's more. And that they want that. Right. It's part of the lore. It mm-hmm. tends to be, I would say, not correct, but more oh, yeah. correct than the stuff, the small amount of people, the small amount of information that people have in their minds about cats. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, you know, it's not like everyone's going around with. A concept of what the best way to interact with a cat is and when they right. do think they know it it's usually wrong so for example i get a lot of calls where they basically say i just adopted this cat and it keeps like hissing and biting me when i'm petting it 
And I'm like, why are you petting a cat you just got? Like, <laughs> like you know, like you have it, it, you need to just like you were saying, like maybe they don't want to be pet or they don't want to be pet for that long or that kind of amount of physical stimulation causes them to be over aroused and cats tend to just use their face. <laughs> right. Yep. They yep. do that. Right. Mm. And that should just be common knowledge. Like you don't. Yes. You don't go up to a cat and expect them to want to hang out with you. I would expect that most people would know that because they think of cats as aloof, right? Like mm-hmm. I would, ex- I would, That's interesting. I would expect yeah. that more people would make that mistake with dogs, which they do almost universally. Like that's not, yeah. <laughs> but like, why would you assume that a cat wants to be pet? I'm trying to think about my assumptions about cats before I knew much. And I recall seeing a cat in West Philly I thought was cute on the sidewalk and I went to pet it and it bit me. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. I'm like, okay. So, uh, but but cat bites are really nasty. intense, really nasty. I hope you got medical treatment. Did you get medical treatment? I did okay. at the time. Yeah, good. I did. Good. I, I also think about dogs who we refer to as cat like mm-hmm. is the opposite. And, and I, and I'm thinking, well, what do we mean by that? Uh, yeah, I'm thinking probably we mean aloof dog, a dog who sits on the top of the couch and looks out the window a lot, mm-hmm. a dog who doesn't want to socialize. Not food motivated. Not food motivated. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's a huge spectrum for all of these behaviors. I'm thinking about way, the way that dog training is kind of popularized initially using like traditional training. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that existed for cats. So until like, um, that one guy has a cat training show. Jackson Galaxy. Which Jackson Galaxy, which as far as I understand is like mostly positive. Yeah, he's good. Reinforcement training. I, I want him um, on my podcast because he has dog too. That's my, that's my reach goal. If anyone knows Jackson Galaxy who is listening to this, I need some kind of. Hookup. Please know that I know very little to nothing about him, but just based on my little knowledge, I'm like, he's legit. I mean, he's, yeah, like, he seems like, um, yeah, yep. Um, just like Victoria Stilwell, like somebody who's, like, actually, like, is a TV personality, but also has very usable information mm-hmm. to, to give. I do joke about cats. I, I told my wife once that I thought cats were just moving decorations. This was before we were married, before I had any cats or dogs. And I still feel like in my heart of hearts, like, do I get cats? Like, do they get me? Do I like spending time with cats? Um, and I think that what I was thinking of is, is that aloofness that like, I don't know how to connect the cats I met didn't want to be around me. Mm. And it's really just the circumstances. I'm thinking back now to all my animals who people like visitors to my home want to befriend and how now my vision of mm. body language and observations about animals, I'm looking at my, my pets and I'm like, Oh shoot, they don't want this. Yeah. Including most of our cats have never wanted attention from humans ever until Howl and Gus, our dog. He's very sweet, but he's actually, yeah, he's a little bit of a timid guy. So if we have a visitor, it's more likely our cat will be the social one and they'll come out and like purr up against somebody's leg or they'll, um, they'll, they'll, they'll sort of seek out physical affection. Our dog, uh, Gus is, is most likely to, to like go and lay next to one of his trusted humans and kind of wait it out. So I'm learning to respect the needs of the various personalities of cats and dogs, of course that I uh, that I come across. I, I will say that one thing about cats that I, I would like to know more about. There are cats that seem really adamant about escaping a home and being outdoors. And there are cats that don't show any interest mm-hmm. in that at all. For the most part, I, we've only ever had indoor cats, but I certainly meet a lot of outdoor cats. 
so mm-hmm. Hal just escaped one day. Uh, he's shown some interest in leaving the house, but hadn't gotten very far. And then uh, my family went away mm-hmm. for a night. So we were out of the house for like 24 hours. And we did not know he escaped. And he escaped during that time while we were gone. And we came back, of course, to a panic. We're like, what is that? What's happening? And um, we checked nextdoor.com and we we like went out, of course, just like on our block and did a lot of searching with flashlights. It was like nighttime at the time. We found him uh, through Nextdoor because two of our neighbors had posted about him. And the story is he went to two or three homes, as far as we can tell, and like crashed parties, like went to like one neighbor was having a barbecue, <laughs> how jumped the fence came into the yard they like brought their dog inside and and how just like marched on in and sat next to them and uh got pet and like got food and then they were like trying to figure out whose cat it is and by the time that they like got it together to like make a post online or like figure it out how jumped the fence left and went to another backyard party uh-huh he's literally the a party like, animal pictures they sent us of him like <laughs> at the party he's like he's like making (laughs) friends and he's bizarre looking too. So everyone's like, is this a cat at first? Cause he could kind of come across as maybe, I don't know. He could be a different animal. Like you said, he looks like a, like he looks like an owl. He kind of, when he's full hair, you know, um, long hair, he, he kind of reminds me of like, um, like a groundhog almost. He's got that kind of body shape, like very wide in the, anyway. Um, (laughs) yeah. So in order to go get him, like my wife had to like go to somebody's party. There was like a, a dinner party and, uh, and and pick him up. So <laughs> I'm wondering if you think because of that experience, which seems like it was pretty good for him. Like, is it uh, we're going to put in some measures to manage him escaping? Of course, I'm also thinking GPS collar mm-hmm. for him. When somebody says to you, my cat wants seems to want to leave the house and there's behavior issues that come with that. Well, like, I don't think I know enough about that, honestly. To help them navigate. I mean, my go-to would be like, I just got to keep them in, right? You just have to keep them inside. I don't know, you know, block them, use gates, get a GPS collar, I guess, as a safety measure. Yeah, I mean, so this is a really interesting topic because many people have Hmm. very different opinions about this because there's, in addition to the cat's safety, there's the aspect of the safety of wildlife, right? so yeah. small animals and birds, because cats are mm-hmm. very, very good hunters, because that's what they're supposed to do. So, like, do we let cats outside? And if we are not going to let mm-hmm. them outside, how do we enrich their lives? And if we are going to mm-hmm. let them outside, how do we do that safely? And it's also a cultural and geographic thing as well. So I have clients in the UK where it's much mm-hmm. more common to have indoor-outdoor cats versus... Here, it's like much more accepted that cats are indoors. Um, but that's also we live in an urban area. And so like if you see a cat mm-hmm. outside, you assume it's a stray, right? Versus right. you assume it's an indoor-outdoor cat. Unless yep. you see like an obvious collar, right? So in terms of the behavior, there's – if your cat really wants to go outside, there are many ways to do it safely. And it depends on how – much space you have in your yard garden area whether you rent or own the home whether you want to build something for them or not or if you know the other option is leash training Mm -hmm. so a lot of people are leash training their cats now a lot of people i see people like in the wissahickon which people who are listening to this have no idea what we're talking Mm -hmm. about but it's a very large like forest (laughs) 
park with lots of trails and, you know, dogs are mm-hmm. with, with their people all the time, off leash, on leash, that it's in Philly proper. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole another legal issue. But mm-hmm. the moral of the story is there's a million dogs. And I've started to see lots of people right. bringing their cats. Cats on leashes, cats in little backpacks, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. adventure kitties, basically. And that's hugely enriching for them. And so that's an option, especially if you're in an urban neighborhood or you don't have the option to like build a catio or have a yard that you can Mm -hmm. put cat fencing in. So cat fencing being like (laughs) basically like an overhang in Mm. on your fence because cats can't jump, you know, Mm -hmm. into something that's blocking them. (laughs) So um, they can't climb upside down. So that's an, another option, yeah. but like that takes money mm-hmm. and time and space. And so, you know, you do have different ways to do it. I would say if your cat really wants to go outside, then that is a, an enrichment activity that you should yeah. look into ways to make that happen. Um, but then having, you know, unless you have a true indoor outdoor catio like yep. experience, <laughs> To have it be very clear, like this is inside time, and now we're gonna give you a some kind of context or even like very clear verbal mm-hmm. cue of like now it's outside time because people find that their cat once it gets a taste of the outside, it's like right. I must yep. go all the time, right? Um, and and so you need to put those parameters mm-hmm. around it from the beginning to create a sense of. Mm-hmm correct expectations uh, and there are some people who just say my cat's an indoor outdoor cat and i accept mm-hmm. i accept the responsibility mm-hmm. <laughs> theoretically they've got their cat they have a collar right they have uh, they're microchipped mm-hmm. they yep. don't live yep. next to a busy road <laughs> um and then they just say you know just best of luck <laughs> i don't know ha- i don't know what happens when my cat right. is not home he shows there's, up there's a lot of good sometimes. songs i think written about what cats must be up to when they disappear. The other thing that anyone should do, speaking of you can yeah. train cats, is to recall train yep. your cat. I've been doing touch. Mm-hmm. So if they do get out by accident, um, then you have a chance in hell of being able to get them back without having to chase them. And chasing a cat mm-hmm. who doesn't want to be caught is impossible. Oh, yeah. You're not going to go oh, yeah. anywhere. <laughs> they go vertical, people. They go vertical and you can't get them. What, what out of that, like... Rings your bell. Yeah, walking a cat on a leash would be almost like an exciting and odd uh, experience at first, and then I'd probably get used to it. When I see people walking a cat on a leash, it's like you know, it, it's it. Uh, I don't know. It's a scene. It's like it's like we see. Um, I like. I kind of worry about the cat. Even though it's out here with a perfectly mindful seeming person on a leash, um, it's still, uh, I worry about reactive dogs. We've seen the worst of it, right? With Mm -hmm. the stories that we hear from clients. So when I see a cat out in public in like an open park space, I'm like, oh man, I hope, I hope they planned ahead for this. I, um, I've, there's a cat who regularly spends time at McMichael Park, which is a park here in like East Falls area. Mm-hmm. It's pretty well known. And when I tell people there's um, 
They know exactly what cat I'm talking about. Uh, it's like famous for being off leash, hanging out in a park where the the family like takes it in a cat carrier to the center of the park, opens up the cat carrier. I'm not even sure if it's on leash, but it spends time with them, like a picnics with them. And when they're ready to go, they put, they have it go back into the carrot carrier and they bring it home. Um, it's impressive. And, uh, I'm sure Hal would like that. Right. Not every cat will like that by any stretch of the imagination. Right. Yep. But if your cat's an adventure cat, yeah. I mean, if you're in an area with off leash dogs, like, you need to have some plans of like, can you pick up your cat and put them in a bag? Like, can, like very quickly and walking a cat on a leash is not the same as walking a dog on a leash. You're basically just holding the end of the leash and letting the, the cat just go Explore. wherever. And they, yeah, it's much more decompression walking, yes. Yes. Um, but even, even more like free form. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> because yes again they go in the they go they they go on the x-axis the y-axis and the z-axis uh-huh. like um, for all uh-huh. nerdy listeners out there um they like to double back they like to jump on things randomly uh-huh. so it is definitely an oddity still at this point like right like people don't even think you can train cats let alone walk them on a leash like that's absolutely silly but people do it and hopefully it becomes more accepted especially you know we if we bring a cat or a dog into our home and as a pet then they are captive animals just like they are just like zoo animals and people don't think like that but they give in tons of enrichment to zoo animals because they go nuts if they are captive and don't have you know aren't able to express their natural behaviors and we have captive animals in our in our houses, and so we need to do the same thing. We have a lot of we have a lot of clients whose dogs, even given various reasons for limitation, end up feeling very captive, uh, sort of captive and understimulated. And there are some pretty common behavior problems that come up for that. And I think it's pretty common now for a, a dog trainer to start with investigating the level of enrichment happening in in the house. And I think most people feel like they're doing enough enrichment. Mm -hmm. There always seems to be like another creative way to go about it. I recommend to a lot of our clients, a a sort of a standard protocol of enrichment, which is like, I call it the 10, 10 and 10, which is Mm. 10 minutes of uh, clicker training, 10 minutes of learning of some kind, like focus teaching, and then I would set a timer. This is what I do with Gus anyway. Uh, and then after the timer goes off, we do 10 minutes of fetch or tug of war or hide and seek or any kind of like non-learning, not non-skill teaching game. Just fun. Chasing, grabbing, tugging, that kind of thing. And then a 10-minute walk. And so it's just 10 minutes of one activity, 10 minutes of another, 10 minutes of a third activity, and then... Generally, I give just some downtime, like a Kong in a, in a pen or in a crate. And I find that that combination of enrichment really, it really meets a dog's needs pretty quickly. And of course, you can do more and you could do less, but that's sort of the baseline I try to get people thinking about. Um, and I find that it also sneaks in training by sort of treating it as enrichment. I'm like, but you're gonna, you're gonna knock out 
uh, a lot here by doing training and thinking of it as exercise, thinking of it as enrichment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I can imagine that some people hear that and they go like, uh, that seems like a lot of time for them to think about spending with their pet. I hope not. But I recommend to our puppy clients that they do a 10, 10 and 10 before breakfast and then again before dinner. Um, and they could do more, but that's my like baseline. And now I'm experimenting with doing that with Hal and seeing what it's like. Hal's not yet engaged in fetch or tug of war in the same way that I'm used to, but it's fine. You should do wand toy with him. Wand toy. I have done a little bit. I've done a little bit. What I find he likes is finding a Lego and <laughs> knocking it across the ground. And then he's super pumped when I move it back to him. Like it just blows his mind. So we'll want to play soccer. Yep. We'll, we'll bat around a, leg, a Lego for a while, him and I. I love it. Yeah, I think there's there's a couple of things in that 10-10-10 that are really interesting to pull out. Number one <laughs> is, like, you need to make sure you have that cool-down period. After? So a lot of yeah. people, yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of people miss, right? They're like, there's, there's this focused attention, high rate of reinforcement, potentially, um, you know, elevated heart rate with like play and all of that stuff. And then it just stops. And then they wonder why the animal is exhibiting all these frustration behaviors. They're like, you know, that's really annoying. And then that punishes the human for doing the things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not fun anymore because then the animal is, cr- you know, cranky. Right, at the end. But if you, add, if you add a, that cool down period, it's like magic. Yes. Like you need to have that. And also like, I mean, I don't know, you, you have people do 10, 10, 10, like half an hour at a time. Um, do you have ways to, do you like tell people that they can do that time cumulatively Mm -hmm. or does it have to be in a chunk? Um, so it depends, Uh, to be honest, I would tailor this a little bit to the person I'm talking to getting a sense previously of how much time they feel like they have to devote in their day to an animal. But a, a lot of this, I feel like, can be weaved into a normal routine where you have to feed your, your animal anyway. So if mm-hmm. you show up during a mealtime and you say, oh, listen, I'm going to feed you, but ooh, it's going to be a little different this time. I'm, I'm, we're going to play. We're going to play first, which is how I think of clicker training and, and, and just teaching dogs in general as play. So I'm like, if you only have time for five minutes of, of a game and maybe you do five minutes of play and that's it. And then you do your cool down afterwards. I think that's great. But collectively throughout the day, I would be hoping for people to get somewhere between an hour to two hours, depending on the animal um, of enrichment, or social interaction, or training, or some combination of of that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about recommendations for cats, honestly, but generally with an adolescent dog, I'm hoping for two hours, which is probably impractical. Mm-hmm. But that would be ideal. And you can really tell the difference between a dog who gets that throughout the day and when that when that doesn't. What's your normal advice when it comes to like cadence of enrichment or... How much is needed each each day? So I actually do not have a time because I basically say I'd rather have, especially with cats, m- like multiple short sessions yeah. and yeah. you have to look to see whether the cat is still into it. And so you're also looking for 
earlyish morning and evening because that's when cats are most um, yep. active, mm-hmm. just naturally. But it could be five minutes at a time, and then you're done. Yeah. And then you come back 15 minutes later and do something else. Those breaks tend to really help. But honestly, there's no... I I can't say you need to do this for a certain amount of time because it's going to... You need to just look at the behaviors that the animal is exhibiting, right? So if they are, like, happy and they're not attempting to do that same type of behavior in some other inappropriate way outside of those five minutes that you've done that day Mm -hmm. like then that's good you've done it right checked you checked off whatever that that box that itch that they had Mm -hmm. to do right um and i think you know it's similar with exercise too like a lot of people think you have to exercise your dog exercise them and then they'll be that's that's the if they're having issues exercise them more like a tired dog is a good dog Mm -hmm. kind of thing I think that's wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I agree. You need to have a much more varied thing. So it's not time. It's not like, oh, run them an extra mile. Right. It's like actually cut down the physical exercise that you're doing and do other stuff. Mm-hmm. Brain, you know, less particularly physical things, more like some nose work, all of right. those things right. that can actually take less time and be easier for you to do. Um, and that's going to get them, yep. their needs met a lot more. And that is really animal dependent. Yeah. Age, breed, individual tendencies, all of that stuff. So I usually start with asking people, like you said, what are you already doing? Mm-hmm. And then kind of evaluate non-judgmentally whatever they're doing and then try to kind of shape it yeah. with some <laughs> trial and eval, like Ali mm-hmm. Bender and Emily Strong like to say trial and eval of whether that is meeting the animal's needs. Yeah. I think about it now. And I think I, I used to tell people that when they have water boiling or they've got a commercial on TV to take a handful of treats, just, just quickly play a game or practice something. And that's the end of it. I think that's probably more like what I do personally. Yeah. Rarely setting aside time. It's funny because I think of a half hour, like the 10, 10, and 10 being 30 minutes. I think that's often less than people expect, I'm going to say, but mm-hmm. more than realistically they're going to do. And I'm hoping that they yeah. land somewhere in between. And uh, honestly, like there are days where I'm like, I don't do enough for my dog or I don't do enough for my pets. And I kind of guilt myself into grabbing some treats and doing a few minutes of training. And the way it makes me feel different, it's so substantial. I mean, of course, my dog loves it and gets something out of it, I hope, I think. But I walk away feeling like, huh, like that wasn't as formal as maybe I think it should be, right? And then, oh, man, I just feel so good about really giving that kind of attentiveness and attention to, to a pet. I've also been thinking a lot about the time spent sitting on a the ground, I don't know if this will resonate with you, but the time spent sitting on the ground, literally, with a pet. There's something about, like, when I sit on, even if I'm not doing anything formal, training-wise, but I sit on the ground with Gus or with the cat, they see me sitting so low, it's just naturally inviting, right? They're going to come over. And then maybe Gus just lays on my legs and I pet, and he, you know, and I pet him. Or maybe he comes over and, and he goes, like, what, what are we doing? You know, you're, you're at my level 
and maybe we do a little bit of training. Maybe I just sit and pet them, but it, it, it could be just a few minutes, five, 10 minutes. And I can tell it really soothes him. And I get a lot out of that. There's something I think I just, I don't know, maybe like rejuvenating about it. It seems so silly, but we don't think about that. Like, I don't know. I Listen, I'm often running around doing stuff and I feel like I don't stop and sit and really focus on my pets unless I'm like learning, like I'm teaching something specific. Yeah. If I can get away from that, I think it's probably healthier. Yeah, for sure. So my last question is, mm -hmm. what if anyone wants to get in touch with you because they're in Philadelphia and they want in-person training mm -hmm. from such an awesome human such as you? You only do dog training at this point, although if cats show up that's <laughs> to right, the session. That's right. If it's a cat-specific <laughs> issue, I'm sending them your way. But yes, we, we can help with, with multiple dog homes, introducing a new dog or a new pet. That's something that we definitely help with. But you can find out more about Tough Pup Training through our website. That's the best place. Or our Instagram mm -hmm. page. It's just at Tough Pup Training. Um, if you're interested in learning more about the Philadelphia Ethical Pet Professionals, you can also reach out to us either through Tough Pup Training or on our About page. If you scroll down, there is a logo for the Ethical Pet Professionals. And if you click there, you'll get to the website with more information about it. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you like this, Naomi. And I think that your podcast is awesome. So I'm pretty, um, yeah, I'm pretty psyched to be part of it. I am really, really happy that you were able to come and you were one of my first trainer friends in Philly and it's yeah. very exciting to kind of rep the Philly area and yes. talk, yeah. talk nerdy and mm -hmm. uh, I want to meet Howell in person. Of course. For sure. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> he would love that. Yeah. You get a kick out of him. I'll send you some pictures of him as well. Cool. I'll post everything in the show notes, including a link to um, Mr. Howell's image so that everyone can see what a wonderfully fantastically weird looking yeah. cat that he is. Cool. <laughs> All right, Matt, thank you so much. Thank you, Naomi. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening. If this episode helped you feel less alone in your struggles with your cats and dogs, please subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes. I'd also love it if you would take a few minutes to review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts because your support helps other people find this show and get access to cat and dog specific content. And if you're a pet professional who's looking for another set of eyes on any of your tough cat and dog cases, I would love to help you strategize and troubleshoot your training plans. You can go to praiseworthypets.com slash services dash four dash pet dash pros p-r-o-s to book a session with me and the link is also in the show notes and that is all for this episode you wonderful cat and dog people see you next week for more it's training cats and dogs